You're listening to the Go For Growth Podcast with Doug Hall. Hi, everybody. This is Doug Hall, your host of Go For Growth with Doug Hall. And today I have a special guest, Mandy Ellison, the founder of Hands Off CEO and uh, a successful business person in her own right and a very important advisor to business owners, particularly in the services industry, to help you stop working in your business and focus on working on your business. So, Mandy, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me, Doug. So tell us a little bit of your backstory, how, how you got to this level of helping business owners get out of working in, being so busy to work on their business. What led you to that? I had a company myself where I had gotten very stuck in the business. What that looked like is that I had my second baby on the way and weeks from delivering, like more like days from delivering. And I had all these projects that were that I needed to wrap up so that I could have maternity leave. And um, I had to go on maternity leave and the business was going to shut down because I was it, it was so dependent on me. And here I had started this business to have all this freedom. And this Freedom, ironically, I had created as an operations manager in the, in a previous company that I had I had run, but um, I didn't know how to create this for myself, and I was really frustrated by it. And I figured it out. I my my staff at the time had kind of just dropped the balls right at the most inopportune times, as like the baby's just like ready to come out, and <laughs> I, I got it all wrapped up. But it taught me and, a few baby- lessons. Yeah, and the baby's doing fine and is like partly grown up now. I hope mostly. Yeah, she's eight. Yeah, mostly grown up. She's eight years old now. So um, she thinks she's she thinks she's grown up, right? (laughs) (laughs) She sure does. Wow, that girl's got some attitude. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. So so anyway, that led me on this journey of looking at. Well, you know, I was able to figure this out before, and I just can't seem to figure this out for my own company. But what I discovered was that it's very different for service-based companies and um, that scaling a service-based company was very different than um, the other model that, that, uh, that I, I was a part of for this, this company that uh, w- was actually a real estate company. And when you're actually, okay. when you're selling more of a tangible type of product, it, it's, um, it's much easier and more straightforward than when you're selling your own knowledge. And it's, um, and it was a web design company and web design and mm-hmm. branding company. And I got so stuck in the middle of everything because the, all the knowledge was in my head for how things needed to be done. And, um, I was too involved in the day to day of the projects. And really I was just kind of playing monkey in the middle. And, um, when the people that I was throwing things out to just kind of went away, then I was stuck the monkey doing all the work. So, um, mm-hmm. I went on this quest to really understand like what is it going to take for for me to to build the kind of company that's going to allow me to be able to work as little as much or as much as I want that would allow me to be able to be gone four weeks at a time if if I'd like to um that but but would really allow me to grow the company in a way that I can grow my impact make a bigger difference but that wouldn't be so um dependent on like me trading my time for money I did I did num- I did a lot of testing and really under- and interviewing and reading a lot of books but what what um helped me the most was when i was i was just testing out some of my ideas on colleagues that i had and um after a while i started charging for my work because it just was like it was really effective and i was able to help people free up a lot of time in their businesses and really help them get unstuck in these different areas of of growth in their business and by doing that i had learned how to actually do that for my own company as I was doing this, I was also recognizing like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. This is really what my, my true calling is. So 
Mm-hmm. I passed off the business to then an, an apprentice at the time. She bought the company. You know, it was a pretty small company, so it wasn't like a, 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 a huge amount, but she's still running that company today. And, and it's, and it's, um, it's been a really good, good thing for her. And, and I really turned this a win-win out of this. And then I started what is, has now uh, become hands-off CEO. Awesome. So if you think about the lessons learned in there uh, and, and how they revealed themselves to you, was it, was it really the baby in the pregnancy that turned up the pressure or did, had you seen the warning signs before this? I mean, did you recognize it? That's, I'm help, trying to help the audience sort of figure out how do you recognize this? Yeah. How do you recognize this? So I, I don't think I knew enough at the time. I was still pretty young at the time. And um, I didn't know enough to know what was really going on. Um, and now from from seeing this in hundreds and probably up to a thousand different entrepreneurs that I've spoke to and, and consulted with on this, I, I now can see a number of factors that actually lead up to this. And um, would, that be hel- would that be helpful to go down that direction? Or uh, where do you want to take I- this? Yeah, I really think it would be helpful uh, because uh, part of you don't solve a problem so you know you have a problem. So what are the signs? What are the symptoms? What can they look at? And then what have, kind of what's your proven process? How have, how have you figured out to solve this? And I know that's a bunch of questions all packed together. So you can unpack that. So yeah, start sure. With the war- start with the warning signs. How do people recognize that they really are the monkey in the middle? Well, I think that um, there's just there's there's certain stages that you go through. So that there there's this this first stage where um, not everyone starts out their company this way, but you're kind of you start off as you're kind of the solo person that is responsible for everyone for everything that is going out the door in the company. And this is particularly the case if you're like a, if you start out as like some kind of consultant or a solo agency. Those are a lot of the kind of companies we work for we work with is. Um, B2B services. So mm-hmm. um, you start out that you get kind of busy. So you're hiring people to help help um, su- support you um, in the admin work and all the other things that need to be done. And then and maybe you're hiring other practitioners to help you do the, the work that you've sold. And what happens is that you start growing and growing. And then all of a sudden you have this team of, you know, four or five, 10, 20. Um, usually don't get to 20 at this stage, but that, but you're what you are is you've kind of turned yourself into this monkey in the middle that I mentioned, where you're just kind of throwing things off left and right, and you're also the person who is chasing after all these details, making sure they're all done. And um, what that looks like is just is a lot of exhaustion, and you having so many details in your head, and you've now become this manager but you're also responsible for making sure everything gets done too. So it's like, this is where the hours really start stacking up and the, uh, the, the freedom that you started your business for, it starts to go down, down, down as, um, even if you're only working 40 hours per week, which is, it's not usually the case at this stage, you can just feel totally spent by the end of the day because you have so much responsibility on your shoulders. So, So you still have, you have, not only the work that you had before, you have more because your company has the capacity to sell more, but then you have all the responsibility of making sure everything goes, um, goes out through the door at, at the level that you, that you expect the quality. And oftentimes it doesn't. So what happens is you have to fix it. So you're like the fail safe and the bottleneck of the entire business. Yeah. So you get to that stage. That's like that. And then progressing from the monkey in the middle, it's like, you're looking at, okay, well, we're going to hire a project manager. The project manager is going to then make sure that things are being done right. Um, the kind of the next level up from that is turning this project manager, um, either hiring an operations manager or someone at that level, or 
um, really training up your project manager into an operations manager. That's my favorite way. I would, I, I prefer to find people that uh, hire people at a certain level and then develop them into, um, into the leadership role. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you have that role in place, it's like bliss. It's absolutely incredible. It like brings tears of joy to your eyes that you're like, there's so many of those little things, all the noise is just gone. And you have hours and hours of time in your day to just be thinking about how to improve the business, be to, to actually be uh, improving your marketing and to, uh, to be out there generating more sales. Is that a final state or is there another step beyond that? There's definitely another step beyond that. That's, that's um, one of the biggest things though. If, if you're, if you're finding yourself where you keep getting pulled back in, one of the first things at an earlier stage, it's like it's um, maybe a project manager. And, and as you're more maturing, it's like we need an operations manager. And as you mm-hmm. continue growing, that this operations manager can really grow into like a COO type of role. And where, where, you're, where they're actually starting, well, this starts earlier than this. You, you, really want, you really want your project manager to start actually helping you manage people, even at that low of a level. Yeah, at, at this at this next level, it's just it's continuing to um, to grow the company with less and less dependence on you because the more you can get out of the, the business as a CEO, the more time you have to really accelerate the growth, the marketing, the sales, and then um, as you are 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 fine tuning and mastering each piece, then you can start delegating out each of those roles as you continue growing, and then it, then it's just taking this machine that you're building and fine tuning, fine tuning, fine tuning. And then you you could be really creating rapid growth just from small incremental changes at this point. So if you're looking at a consultancy or an agency and you, again, this is sort of to help people assess where they are. Obviously, the solo person is one. But does that feel like sort of three to six people is that first phase? You get two or three or four people gathered around the founder. Is that Sort of a normal right. size for- yeah but I actually see this that that stage going up into like I, I see this up to 15 sometimes 20 okay. but I can see it going up to 15 and um, and what that and, and on another version of this that I'll, I'll see a lot too is having a very flat organization and what that what right. that looks like is you have a lot of higher end people a lot of chiefs and not a lot of Indians Um mm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. but that's not a derogative term for some people. I am part Native Americans, uh, very, very tiny yeah. amount. So I feel there, every right there you go. to you're say leg- that. You're legit. You're allowed. Legit. You're allowed. That's okay. But when then do they do they then have contention for resources? All these chiefs sort of competing for assistance or project. You know, are they all battling each other then, or what does well, that look like? I, I, I think that you know maybe that, maybe that, it sounds like maybe you've you've run into some of that with the work that you've done, Doug. Um, yeah, I've I've seen a bit of that, and it, I think that flat organization makes the man in the middle or the woman in the middle, I see them just spinning around like a top, answering everybody's questions, solving everybody's crisis, not right. having any time for them, not, no time for themselves. They get, they get to like five or six o'clock and like, oh, everybody went home. Good. I can do some work now. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're constantly fielding questions and one of the reasons why is because they haven't actually delegated out entire responsibilities. They're just, mm. it's just piecemeal. And not on top of that, it, on top of that, it's like not only just for delegating out the whole responsibilities, but the responsibility of even coming back to the CEO and, and reporting on how the progress is going and having like 
that that feedback loop in place where the where it actually turning turning the feedback loop around. So instead of you going after each person in your team and checking in how how things are doing, they're coming to report to you to the, the progress and really coming to bring solutions and not problems. Right. And that would be a sign of growing. But that first phase, they probably don't realize that or nobody's ever told them that. Right. And I, and I think that this comes down to it's just like as we're growing our companies, we're, we're, we're growing as leaders and, and really our camp, our company cannot grow any faster than we can as, as a leader, as a person. And that's why it's like, it's what happens is that the company starts butting up against the leader. If they haven't done that, that internal deeper work in order to, um, to let go and to, in order to, to, to really, um, unlock that next level of growth, um, by, getting out of the way. But the challenge is, is that the the people don't on the team, even if they're they they're they're exactly the right person, they have the right skills and everything, they really don't have the direction. They have not been empowered for them to really do the best work. And the CEO doesn't really know how to empower them to do the very best work. And that that and and I see that that, that happened um even um in greater uh greater frequency or intensity with the organizations that are more flat, because a lot of times I see the reason why they're more flat is that the leader is reluctant to really step up and quote, be the boss. They don't want to be like that bossy person. So there's right. like kind of this weird, you might, I, I'd like to know if you, you've kind of seen this too, is that there's like almost this weird, like co-managing, co-leading type of thing where nobody's really in charge. And, um, yep. And this is this is yeah. way worse with partners too, by the way, where you have like the um, law have, firms or accounting yeah. firms, right? Yeah, right. I, and and then on top of that, just like co-owners, if you have multiple owners, like right, there's nobody really driving the ship forward. So what happens is everybody's just kind of going off in the, into like um, their their different directions, and it it takes a, it's a, it's a lot of um, of energy spent. It's kind of like trying to grow with one foot on the on the gas and one foot on the brake. Yeah, I've seen that. And I think in professional consultants uh, and, and professional services in particular, there's this sort of education bias that they come out, like being a manager or being an executive is a bad thing. I'm a professional. I'm not picking on them, but I'm an attorney. I'm a CPA. I'm whatever. And, and if I act like a boss, they'll think less of me. Mm. Right. And, you know, I've and, and I, I've seen that too. And actually there's certain leaders, we've really made a big difference for just in giving them the permission that like, this is your job to be the leader and is your job to set the vision. It's your job to set the what and the why and, and your team's job is the how. And your right. more upper level managers, they're, they're going to be involved in the what and the why perhaps. But like your right. job as the visionary in the business is to really set those things. And, right. and um, your job is it's not to get any kind of consensus on it. Your job is to set that and enroll everyone on your team into that and getting them excited about it and um, really helping them see what's in it for them and helping them see the why. And then on top of that, filtering out people in your organization who don't fit that and uh, attracting in the right kinds of people that that do fit the the vision and the mission going forward but it takes some serious courage as the leader that you're going to set that and you're going to say this is what we really truly stand for 
And these are the only kind of people that we're going to be having working with our company. These are the only the type of clients that we're going to be working with too. I think both of those are really important and they're really hard for folks because sometimes they come from a scarcity mentality. Well, we need every client. You know, we don't want to lose a client or, you know, we need the work or we got to keep people busy. And they, they settle for employees and they settle for clients. Well, you know, and that's a really good point. And it's, it's one that we see happen a lot before some of the, some of our clients work, uh, work with us and the, 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 um, the kind of business that work with us, they're, they're already doing pretty well as far as the, they're, they're, um, they're not necessarily struggling. It's just, they're, they're getting to a point where they're, they're really getting stuck in the growth of the company and they can't grow anymore without like basically their, their personal life imploding. But, um, mm-hmm. but, but it, it all, it's all kind of impacted by the structure of the company and how that's all working. And, you know, one of, one of the examples that, that we have is um, one of our clients, Jamie, in the thir- first 13 months we had, we worked together, he increased his profit 55% net profit, which, I mean, as you know, Doug, that, that's a pretty big increase in profit. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Terrific. Right. And, 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 um, in order to do that though, there was some house cleaning that had to happen, right? He was an incredibly courage, courageous leader and, and still is. And he just really stepped up and said, this is what we stand for. This is what we're creating. And he set the bar high. And as a result, some people chose to, to, to not, they filtered themselves out and that's what will happen. But what happened also is that the rest of his team is like, yeah, this is, this is what we want to be involved in. And they're really excited about it. And, um, his team are just really stepping up and he went from, um, being very involved in the day to day to now being really in the, on the, in the director seat. And he's just like, I've got a lot of time on my hands and he's, he's rolling this out with his other company too. It's also taking it, taking it down to the client level though, and looking at, what are the clients that we're no longer willing to work with? What are the only kind of clients we will be working with? And so, so, um, and we were talking a little bit about this before, um, we pushed the record button, Doug, but we, you know, we were talking about how the sustainability of, um, the business is so important. A, a profitable, sustainable foundation is really important in order to let go. And that was what was mm-hmm. really missing in his business. Um, so what we looked at is like, what, how could we be able to provide a bigger outcome for clients pre- predictably, consistently, every single time? And what we did is we looked at, all right, who is the best clients that we could be working with under and under what circumstances and what's the very best work that we could do for them? So what through, uh, through a process, and this took about, I mean, this is an intensive process, right? It's, it's very effective, but you know, it takes a good month to really get your head wrapped around it. And, um, mm-hmm. And, and what we came out of with him for, for him was that um, we can, we'll add $10 million in three years for beauty and skincare brands. Okay. And that completely revolutionized the way that they went about marketing and selling because now it's just qualify and quantify. It's like, can we get this result for you? Do you have these characteristics in place that we're looking for where we can guarantee this kind of result? They were able to triple their fees, the, the amount of in, inbound leads doubled. Beautiful. Maybe I shouldn't say inbound. They, 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 they doubled the amount of leads because it's actually not, this is not really about inbound. It's actually a lot of it. It's about, it's about outbound. It's about really going, taking a sniper approach to your marketing and selling so that you can't, that, you know, this, this is the exact type of brands that we're looking at working with. And, you know, when you reach out to them with a message that like, Hey, we add $10 million in three years to, you know, these, this type of company, and you have a case study with that, they're they're pretty excited to talk to you about that. You know, yeah. you can, you can get, yeah, you pretty much they'll at least listen to you. 
they'll at least listen to you, even if they don't believe you. <laughs> That's the thing right. about right. making big offers. Right. You don't actually, they don't actually right. have to be believable at first nope. to get a, a phone call. So, Maybe. so anyway, they, they've had a, a, a big, um, uptick in their, they've had prospects making referrals <laughs> just to give you an idea. Cause that's pretty hot. Right. That's and, pretty um, cool. They and, aren't even a client yet. And they're making referrals. <laughs> exactly. So, so here's the thing is, is like that, like by impacting the, the structure of this, what we've done is we've started off by like, this is what we're selling and this is how we mm-hmm. can sell it for, you know, three times more. We, we're, we're looking at how do, how do you be able to double like two to 10 X your fees, um, by, um, by starting with, how do you increase your value? How do you be able to be so valuable that you can guarantee your services? And when you guarantee your services, you, when you take out that risk for them, then they're willing to pay a lot more for it. That's a big nugget. If you, if you, if your promise is big enough, the ROI is there in the future, you guarantee it, then you can double, triple 10 X your fees is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, you can, but you have to do good work. <laughs> you and, and clearly, um, <laughs> yes, you have to do good work. And, maybe and, great work. Well, the other thing about this too, and, and Doug, maybe you, you've seen this as well with um, with service providers, is that like their results can be pretty hit or miss. So when you're oh, going yeah. to invest with the service provider, you're like, it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall, and um, people are willing to spend these. Your your clients are willing to spend like a, a small amount of money to test. But you can't do your very best work with that kind of commitment. So it's looking at like how do we how do we stack the odds in our favor so that we're only working with clients where our very best work is done every single time? What do they need to have in place? What do we need to be able to do? What do we need to add to our process so that, that we can guarantee these results? And um, who do we need to say no to so that we can have that confidence that every single time we're going to be... Um, providing these massive outcomes and doing that, it provides the foundation. It helps. It, it increases your, your, uh, not only increases your fees, but increases your, your conversions for the right kinds of people. Um, and then you have the structure too. When we put it together, what we call a client success map and it's, um, you know, it might be three steps, might be five steps, however many steps it is. And we first started off with the selling so this is how we're selling this. Like I was explaining to you with like that, the big outcome, but then mm-hmm. that also what's amazing about this is that you, you hand over this client success map and it now becomes a roadmap for your team, your operations team to take this, your operations manager and develop it into what we call an operations management blueprint. And okay. they're, they're building out the, like they're reverse engineering. How do we actually get this outcome for our clients? How do we guarantee this? And that becomes your that becomes your operating systems for your company for, for specifically for the service delivery part of it, and then that's and that's how you transfer the ownership over to your team. So you're starting with the strategy, the what, why, and the team is actually doing the how, and you're going to be helping with them, helping them with it to a certain point. But it's also how you train your operations managers too. It's like they're taking right. over this project. You're passing it off to them, and they're now soliciting you for like feedback with it. But um. And uh, I mean, that's the, there's more to it than that, right? But that's just the big picture for how it works. And then that's you get- That's a great, great big picture. Yeah, I love that. So the the why and the what, it's sort of the top level. The mm-hmm. how is in the middle. And then the who is important because oh. if the founders, the founders doing all the work, that's not going to win. You need other people to be the who. So that ops manager, project manager, that that's important. What lessons have you learned in picking out, picking the right who's? 
when your clients go at your direction to get their first project manager, what do you tell them? Well, I think the first thing is understanding your client's success map because okay. understanding what you're actually selling and to who you're selling, it's going to, to determine some of this who, right? But yep. um, also that, that process you're breaking down for, it, it will help you see what skills you actually need. Because one of the biggest mistakes that we see a lot of service providers make is that they are, they're like the one-stop shop. We do this, this, and this, and this. And one of the challenges with this is that that's it's expensive to be the one shop stop one stop shop, and you can't do their, your very best quality work that way. So what happens is you're really good in some areas and you're not so good in others. So instead of being the one stop shop, you can be really good at creating a specific type of outcome. And when you're really good at creating a specific type of outcome then your process for how you get to that is really quite irrelevant. Who's doing the process is also quite irrelevant too. Because, um, and this is where it's so key. This is how you remove the CEO out of the day-to-day, out of the service delivery. Because the thing is, is that if, if you are positioning your service as the CEO, as they're, they're very, they have the most valuable time, then your clients are always going to want the CEO. They're always going to want you. So, until you actually like move what you're doing into a replicatable system that is delivering real outcomes and not just a system. Everybody thinks, oh, we just have a system. It's not just the system. It's actually delivering outcomes. And um, and if it's appropriate, guarantees. And when you're doing it that way, then you can really dictate how it's going to be done in your business. And mm-hmm. now it's now your your clients can let go of their fixation on the CEO being really involved in the, in the work. Cause the reason why they're they're they feel like you need to be involved in the work is because, and the reason why they're micromanaging is because they don't actually believe they don't have confidence in you that you're going to get it done without them doing that. So um, if you have, if you're leading the whole process with a very tight process for, I keep saying the word process, but like if you're, if you're leading the engagement with this is this is what we do first, then this, then this, and th- there's no way that the that the their leaders can come in and um, get you off course because this is this is the course, this is what they agreed to, this is the this is the this is the contract right. that you have, and right. in doing that, there's no there's none of this power vacuum where um, your client feels like they need to jump in and start micromanaging you. It sounds like in many cases you're helping your clients get the magic, you know, sort of the, their secret sauce out of their head, put it down in a way that's scalable and teachable to other people, and then make this pivot so that the, the client's listening to you rather than you being pulled around by the client. Yeah. You're driving your process. Yeah. And, and here's the thing is if, if your client is dragging you around, what's happening is there's an absence of leadership. That's what's happening. Correct. So, um, yeah, it definitely is about pulling it out of your head, but it's also bigger than that. It's bigger than that because it's about really identifying where you can do your very best work and 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 eliminating a lot of it. Because if we don't want to pull, we can pull all sorts of stuff out of the CEO's head, but it doesn't necessarily mean that right. it's going to be the most profitable direction that the company should go. Great point. So you would argue, do less, better. Right. Do less, better, but do the right things because do, yeah, it, do the right thing. Um, (laughs) What I mean by that is that, is that looking at where there's demand in the market, 
where where there's painful problems that you can solve, painful multiple six and seven figure problems that you can solve for clients. And then when you have these painful problems that you're solving, then they're willing to throw some money at it, right? And then now you have now you have enough resources for you to do your best work. And um, right. you have resources to hire your, hire the best kinds of people. You have resources to um, to build out systems and and to do all these great things that you know you do with your clients, Doug. But you have to have the resources to do that. And I think that's where a lot of a lot of service based companies, especially, fall fall on their face is that they want to let go. They want to put all these things in place, but they go about doing it the wrong way and they don't have enough uh, profit built into the company. So no matter how much they, they, they're squirreling around trying to like work on these systems, it's not going to work. Right. So that goes back to that magic thing of get down to where you create the most value, get in a position to double your fees, triple them, quadruple them. Guarantee. Tell me a little more about that guarantee. What have you seen? How have you seen that practically work among your clients? Is it a back-end guarantee? Like we get you the outcome or you get your money back or what, what is yeah. what tends to work? That's a great question. There's so many different ways to go about doing it. And I have a whole workshop that I teach on how to, how to, to put together really strong guarantees that helps you be able to, I, it's a, the agency Forex fee guarantee workshop that I've, I've put together, but um, I'll, I'll just kind of give a few nuggets from it is that. That'd be great. That's, the most important. Perfect. I mean, so what, what I was going to say is, if people are interested, Mandy's going to tell you how to get a hold of her and her team uh, at the end. So just hold your horses. But I want you guys to get nuggets from Mandy on what, like, what does this look like? So give us a few of those yeah. guaranteed well, nuggets that you've seen. And the, the only reason why I mentioned about that is that, is that this is some, some guarantees are something that I think are taught very poorly. <laughs> and um, mm. the, the, one of the worst things you can do is, an offer, is offer a really lousy guarantee. Uh, I'll just give you an example right. of like, the worst possible one you could offer. Because I was talking to uh, a guy at a booth at a, at, uh, a conference, uh, a, a popular marketing conference, and he, it was his agency. And I said, you know, uh, like something along the lines of like, I do you guys have you guys ever off, thought about offering guarantees? And they're like, you know, we don't guarantee you, we don't guarantee your work. We, we guarantee we do our very best. And I'm like, what kind <laughs> of BS guarantee is that? <laughs> uh, That's ridiculous. So. So you want to use the guarantee as a way to attract in ideal clients that are people that, that, that it's, it's really for a shock and awe and say, wow, you really can guarantee that. Wow. You really can guarantee hundred percent happiness and five X ROI. You can guarantee that. And they're like, wow, I don't hear anybody say that, but it's not to close a sale. You should never use a guarantee to close a sale because those are the worst types of clients because they're the kind of clients that right. don't really believe in themselves and um, they're looking for you to come save them. So right. if they ask to, if they ask a lot of questions about the guarantee and they're like going over it with fine tomb comb, that's like, that's a good indication to kind of ask them and dig in a little deeper and say, you know, why are you asking? Why do you ask? You know, I mean, let's get kind of curious about it. Right. It could be, it could be right. a warning sign. So, but you use it as a way to, I mean, even if you don't guarantee it, it's, it's that, it's that kind of thinking though. It's the kind of thinking for like, if we were, if we were on the line and we could only get paid if after actually delivering the service, but we wanted to maximize the dollar amount that we could get from this, what would we do? And what would be, and, Mm -hmm. and, um, that has to be aligned with something the market's willing to pay for, of course, but of course. Um, but th- there, there, there could be, um, 
ROI guarantees. Like I've, I've given you that the 5X ROI guarantee is one that we use. We use a hundred percent happiness guarantee that, that one, we, uh, that one, I, I would encourage you to use that up to a certain point because it can be very demotivating. If you have like, say a hundred, uh, like a, a year long program with a hundred percent happiness guarantee, it can create this really weird type of dynamic. Um, you can do pay after results. I would rec, I would not recommend that either. I would do, I would no. have more of a, I'd have some, some, there's a lot of upside in, 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 in getting, uh, service fees from performance though. And some of our clients do do that. I, I would look at it more as a way to pad your, your already existing fees instead of it being your main fees, but it could be really good for both sides of it. Because if you're, if you're, um, your intentions and, and what, what you both want to get out of it are aligned, right? Right. Then it's going to be best. It's going to be best for the client because when when um, they're making money, you're making money, and the, you're right. that much more motivated. And, and so, let's say you did a five x ROI or partial fee, partial pay on performance. You're constantly reminding the client where you are. You're reminding yourself where you are, so you're going to make your fee, so you don't give back your fee, and that sort of gets, creates a virtuous cycle. Right. Well, and the other, the other guarantee it could be like we're we're going to to um, it could be a, a certain dollar amount, a guarantee that you're going mm-hmm. to be a dollar amount, and you'll work you'll work um, you'll work until they get that, or a money back guarantee. But the thing is, is that the, the, your clients like they just want the result. If you choose the right type of clients, right. this really isn't a risk because um, right you just have a really good screening process. And, um, I, I know that anybody who comes in our door, we don't have a risk with because they're, they're, they're lovely people that we enjoy working with and would never want to rip us off. And, and we're just there to help them really, to to really support them and get them exactly what they need. But in order to do that, I think you, you, you kind of pointed on it is that like, there's this tracking in place. There's this, this, um, and that, that's what, that's what offering a guarantee. What it really does is it, is it sets a, a, a very clear intention for where you're going. And now, um, there, there is, there's a lot of tracking that happens and, and, um, there are, there's checks and balances in place to make sure that you're actually hitting those marks and getting there. Mm-hmm. Makes good sense. So, um, when you look at the sort of world of consultants and, and agencies and all that you serve, you, uh, you know, we've talked about some common themes along the way, but if, if somebody's casually speaking to you and they haven't, you know, really not at that stage yet, or they're not, they haven't presented them to, to you, presented themselves to you as a prospect, but you want to share with them a little tip or a big nugget, kind of like the number one business building advice for consultancy or agency. What's your, what's the one you start with? What's your number one piece of advice? Um, the number one piece of advice I'd give you is to add more value constantly be looking at how you can add more value to your clients, how you can add more value to your team. Uh, and, um, you know, how you add more value to your business too, actually is like making the business, the business more valuable. And when you yeah, do all that, it sure. adds more value. And, and that's where true wealth is created. True wealth is created by adding more value to the market and, um, and to the individuals within it. And when you do that, you can charge more fees. You can, you can be, um, it increases your earning power. The more value you add, the uh, the greater your earning power per hour that you work. And when you when you are focusing on that, then um, it brings a level of sustainability to the company, and that the sustainability can then help you build scalability. But 
always be willing to do what is not scalable first and sustainable in order for you to get to scalable. And I think too many um, service-based companies, especially, they're like, well, that's not going to scale. We can't do that. And no, it's not going to scale. But first start off doing what's sustainable, what's going to maximize your dollar uh, am- amount per um, per client. And then you can look at how do we scale this? How do we... Th- it, like right. that? That's a lot easier equation to solve if you actually have money to solve it. <laughs> right. If you really have added value, the client will pay for it. Right, right. And well, and here's the other thing too. It's like, it's like, well, I don't want to sell my time for money. It's just like, well, if someone comes and says, I'm going to give you $10,000 for one of your hours, are you going to sell it to them? I certainly uh, yeah. would say yes. Yeah, right. So it's, it, the thing is, is it's like, it's not about not selling time for money, because on some level, we kind of all are. But it's right. about being able to increase your, your um, earning power. And, um, and then when you do that, that's that gives you the margin for you to actually hire other people to be doing the work for you. Right. And then you get to that future spot of more time freedom. Ex- more exactly. But just the leverage alone, though, the, the leverage alone uh, it will give you time freedom. Well, that's great. That's, that's, you gave us like a nugget and a half there. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> so so uh, tell our folks how they can find out more about you and more about Hands Off CEO and you know what some first steps they might do if they're if they want to research with you a little bit. Sure. Well, if you go to handsoffceo.com forward slash roadmap, you can download our ultimate roadmap to scaling your consulting agency. And um, what that will tell you is um, you can uncover three hidden barriers to creating more growth with less reliance on you as the CEO. And there's um, lots of great nuggets in there about how to add more value and about how to improve your cash flow and um, just generally how to scale up your service-based company. Terrific. It's been great having you on today. You really have shared value with us, and I appreciate that. And folks, check out Mandy's offerings at handsoffceo.com. And Mandy, thank you very much. Look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thanks, Doug. It's been my pleasure. The Go for Growth podcast is sponsored by Resources for CEOs. We help overworked business owners take back control of their time, build a team-driven company, and multiply profits. Get your free copy of How to Get What You Want from Your Business at resourcesforceos.com slash guide.